We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Indiana, home of Pacers basketball. Miller for three, and he got it. Legends have been born. Miller retreats to the three-point line and hits again. Memories have been made. Caliburn, a deep three for the lead. Great basketball has been played. Nembhard away. Hits the three and the buzzer. In 49 states. It's just basketball. Flips it to the big fella, fake, shoots, and But this, this is Indiana. And you're listening to Setting the Pace. Let's go! Your go-to Pacers podcast. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. We got paces hooping. Let's talk stats. Hot takes. All fast. New topics. Updates. Three pointers. Fast breaks. We keep scoring. We don't need to stop. New episodes. Weekly drops. This your number one podcast, sweeping every team. We gon' need a mop. Setting like the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. Setting the pace with Alex and Fachi. Alex and Fachi. Alex and Allison. What is going on, Pacer Nation? Welcome back to another episode here of your go-to Pacers podcast, Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Goldman. No Michael J. Fox today because we've got two guests on that are a huge part of Pacers Twitter. We've got on the one and only Cami, and we've got on NBA Woody. It's going to be a great one today because, no, the Pacers did not have a good game against the Utah Jazz. They lose 132 to 105. We're going to jump into that, but, you know, Woody from Australia in it in the United States got to, got to see the Pacers and up close, got to hang out with Miles Turner for a little bit. Then Cammy was in Atlanta, and, and and Miles and Tyrese are calling him out, knowing who he is. So I, th- I thought yeah. it'd be cool to talk about your guys' experience, Cammy. I, I can just feel the energy already. So so talk to me about that moment when Miles and Tyrese both knew who you were. I it was wild because Miles did interact with me in around 2021. Uh, I made a timeline of his career, and you know he shouted me out on there, but. I think after that, it was like he didn't interact with me after that. So three years have passed. I was like, no way this guy still knows me. And I and I remember he did sign my hat at the uh, at the last game. I got that right here. Okay. Um, he saw, Yeah, he signed my hat in the last game. So I thought, man, he signs a lot of people's stuff. He probably doesn't remember. Then I then I he's signing my 
It's not in my other hat. It's not in my other hat. And I'm telling him, hey, you signed you signed the last one, remember? The black one? And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can be, right? And, like, my heart just stopped. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm like, no, yeah, not only does this guy remember whose hat he signed, he remembers the interaction he had. That's that's which great. Is incredible. That says a lot about Miles. And I know, Woody, you got to hang out with Miles for a little bit. So, I mean, just talk to me about that. And maybe I would love to hear your thoughts on Cammy's story. Yeah, I was I was so blessed. Um, obviously, I haven't been out to India in seven or eight years, so this was a cool trip for me. It was something I was able to fit in, and um, people just were really, really sweet. Hit me up out of the blue, completely unexpected. Shout out to Miles, uh, videographer, media specialist. His name's Cam. He's an absolute legend. Has spent time in Australia. Reached out to me when I was at the uh, the Hawks game. Um, took us. Took me and my family and AK Riley, who just happened to be doing the same thing I was. Um, shout out AK. He was over there from Australia at the same time. Um, took care of us the whole night. We met Miles' family. His mum took us around. His sister took us around. They bought us a jersey. It was just the most unreal experience, completely unexpected. Um, looked after us, so sweet. And then after the game, uh, taken across to the training facility. I was like a kid in a candy store. Like I've seen these things a million times from 10,000 miles away on a tiny little screen. And now that I'm, I was in the building and then Miles came across and yeah, called me by name, called Alex by name. It was just a freaky experience, something you don't expect. I think we're super blessed that we have such a personable star. And I guess I don't have the, the homegrown roots of Indiana. I had to pick a team when I was a kid, when I started to love basketball and I think it turned out pretty good. I think I've picked the right team. And when we win that championship, it's going to be extra sweet. Oh, yeah. Same, same same, with me, man. Both of us are out of state, as you can say. You're a bit further from me, but, you know, still out of state. <laughs> still counts. Still counts. Cammy, when's the last I, time you've been in Indiana? When was the last? I've never been to Indiana before. Okay. Never. never. So I became when are you a fan. for a game? Huh, what, what's up? When are you coming for a game? I want to. I, I want to go to the playoffs. I want to go to a playoff game. Okay. If the, if in if Indiana is in the playoffs, which they most likely will be, I am going to a playoff game. You got to speak I'm, that into existence. You can't say if they're in the playoffs. What are we doing here? When they're when, in the playoffs. Big win. When they're in the playoffs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I saw something I, I, on the. I, yeah. I, I'm I saw sorry, some man. Projections where it's like ninety five percent chance they make it. Yeah. No. I, I'm sorry, man. Tonight just has me really in a down mood. You know. <laughs> were you even watching the game? Or were you were you flipping back and forth with WWE Raw? Because I know that's. Flip. Go Flipping ahead. back and forth. Yeah, those are two interests of mine. Fachi shouted me out on that. Flipping back and forth, both were miserable. <laughs> what was so miserable about Raw tonight? It was, uh, you know, some certain people got matches that they didn't deserve, and it was, uh, majority of it was a snooze fest. I'll say that. Well, I mean, I don't know which one was more of a snooze fest because this game was pretty brutal. 132-105, Pacers lose. Obviously, we're here to talk about that, not Raw or anything like that, but... I will say this. I think the biggest part of tonight's game was Jairus Walker gets 26 minutes. Fans were begging for him to play. They've been begging for him to play for quite a while now. I think the last time he even got uh, any run might have been against the Orlando Magic uh, when the Pacers were getting blown out in that game. Maybe maybe it was the Minnesota game before they played in the Winter Showcase. I can't remember, but I know it's been a while since we've really seen Jairus Walker get any run. So, Woody, I'll go to you first. I know you've been pretty pretty adamant about, you know, getting Jairus minutes. What were your thoughts on how he played tonight and, you know, the fact that it took, you know, till the second quarter with 11 guys pretty much in the rotation before he got in there? Yeah, I'm, I'm for sure big on Jairus playing minutes. I understand the 
Um, he's not quite ready sort of thought process because you do see moments where he falls asleep, he reaches, he, he gambles a bit, which is not part of what Rick preaches. But the thing that frustrates me is the guys who are getting minutes ahead of him also gamble. They're veterans. They should know better. And they don't have the size, length, athleticism to um, get away with their gambles the same way that Walker does. I mean, he had, was it four seals, two blocks tonight? On a lot of it was gambling. So even when he makes what what could be perceived as poor decisions, um, we still have good outcomes. I know you'll probably want to talk about it in a little bit. It was extremely bizarre to see us start the game with Nembard guarding Markinen. Made absolutely no sense. Cannot understand the logic behind it. And it was almost a direct ploy that that was the matchup. We've seen Nembard guard above his size before and do well, but Markinen's like... That was a six, seven inches taller, long arms, finesse guy, very creative. He's not a bruiser. He's not anything like that. Just killed him. And then we switched to Buddy Heald, which Buddy had a fantastic hot start shooting the ball. Um, but it, again, I can't be mad at Nembard and Heald. I think the assignments are just unfair at that point. And then having Walker sitting there on the bench, um, a perfect size matchup who can maybe give you a little bit more, um, gives a little more impact defensively, not used. It was quite frustrating to watch. Then it turned the corner when he came on. He was fantastic. Obviously, he played quite loose. I don't think he shot the ball particularly well, but he definitely gave a spark on both ends and was probably one of our better players tonight. Gary? I mean, for sure, about the shooting thing, three for 11 isn't great, but, hey, I'll uh, I'll take two for five from three. That is that is promising because I remember I remember in, in college, he was kind of up and down as a shooter. In summer league, he was downright awful, if I believe so. He went like one for 18 or something. He was genuinely awful as a shooter. And then I remember, didn't he say he got surgery on his shooting arm or shooting hand? Something like that? I think it was the elbow. There was like loose body parts yeah. in the elbow, right? Yeah, yeah. That made complete sense because his form is way better now. It's more fluid. But one thing that's not fluid, in my opinion, is his handle. It's very loose. Like I've seen plenty of I saw plenty of times in the fourth quarter where he was dribbling way too way too way too wide. He was losing the ball without anybody even around him and he had to go and go get the ball before setting something up. And about uh about what Woody said about him gambling a lot. I feel like that is in his nature as a player. He did that in Houston as well. Um a lot of times on this isn't related to defense, but a lot of times I saw him get past the defense, go for a layup and smoke it which I think is the case of him getting excited at times, Well, which I don't blame him. He barely gets any playing time. And him trying to show that, hey, I'm more than just, a, I'm more than just a, you know, a G League guy, as a lot of Raptors fans have been referring to him as. Yeah, so just to kind of go back to what you guys said there a little bit, I want to start with you, Woody, because you did talk about you wish maybe he would have started and been able to guard Laurie Markin. I mean, I mean are, are we serious about this right now, or do we think maybe they should have just – not put Andrew Nimhart on Laurie Markkinen because at this point, like you're trying to at least be competitive to start out the game. You you think you're going to give yourself a chance to win. Does starting a guy that really hasn't been getting any significant minutes with this team right now, the fact that it's coming off of an upper respiratory infection, playing in altitude against one of the best power forwards probably in the NBA. Do you think it's really a smart decision to put a rookie in that spot or Maybe the Pacers could have gone a little bit different and started Obi Toppin, who's had experience starting and a little bit athletic for gives you more size than a guy like uh, Andrew Nimhart. No offense to Nimhart, who is a good defender, but no Neesmith, no Brown. It just kind of felt like, why are we going to Nimhart in this spot? Especially when they have a guy like Colin Sexton, who <laughs> I think would have been a much better defensive matchup for Nimhart. So, Woody, since you brought that up, I want you to push back on me there. 
Yeah, no, I definitely don't think Walker should be starting. I definitely think that's that's not the case. Um, it could simply be lack of personnel at that mm-hmm. point because what was the alternative? Like you said, playing Obi Toppin at the three probably isn't the move. Um, I just don't understand why it was Nembard that was selected to play that role. I mean, he's at his best when he's using his size at the guard spot to his advantage. Like you said, Colin Sexton would have been a perfect matchup. I mean, we don't have a point of attack defender out there. Bruce Brown's not playing, so Nembard would have been ideal there, put pressure on the ball. And then that probably makes things easier for whoever is assigned to the Laurie Markkinen matchup. We had the two Twin Towers out there to start the game. Miles and Jalen Smith. I feel like Jalen Smith to Laurie Mark and it might have been a little more, I don't know, user-friendly for us. But then I guess you're kind of picking your poison at that point. I would rather take care of the Laurie Mark and problem than, um, you know, dealing with someone else who's probably going to give you a little more offense if you get exposed by them. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Yeah, I think this is just really tough because Laurie was, I mean, Laurie's so good, and there, and there really was no good matchup for the Pacers with Laurie Markin, and, and that's kind of been the problem all year long. I mean, Aaron Neesmith probably gives you the best option there defensively, but even then, he's six foot five, and and Laurie Markin is 6'10", 6'11", like whatever. I mean, he's just, he's a really tall guy, and he can shoot right over you, and so that's kind of why the Pacers have been linked to a lot of different forwards throughout the last couple of years as the Pacers are trying to just continue to build this thing up, but I mean, Going into this game, no Tyrese, no Bruce Brown, no Aaron Neesmith. So you're basically, your starting backcourt's gone. One of your starting frontcourt players is gone. And then we really can't bank too much on Jalen Smith and Miles Turner carrying the load for this team. I, I think, you know, those two have been fine together as starters, but they're not even closing games out together. So it's not like the, mm-hmm. the coaching staff is buying completely into what they're doing. But Cammy, you know, this is a game where, you just you, the Pacers had no resistance whatsoever to what the Jazz wanted to do, and the Jazz were able to just get to the foul line constantly. Mm. Ended up having uh, ended up having thirty five free throws to the Pacers twenty five, and the Pacers got called for thirty one fouls to the Jazz seventeen. It felt like that was a big part of this game. 
Yeah, it felt like after the Denver game, we kind of uh, th- threw in the towel, so to speak. Because the Denver game, we were playing with a lot more energy. We were, I mean, we took the defending champs down to the wire, you know, up until the final few moments without Tyrese and without Nismith. Felt like in this Utah game, no Tyrese, no Nismith, and Bruce is out. And, of course, Isaiah went down, didn't return. Matherin went down. He's probably going to miss a game or two. Um, it felt like we kind of, you know, uh, I'm not going to say we foul-shaved, but it was uh, pretty pretty rough. Um, you know, they were getting to the rim, feels like they were getting fouled every time they drove. And I saw something you said about playing uh, Obi over Jalen, yeah. which I'm not I w- I'm not against. I think Obi has been good against those type of score, uh, against those type of guys. Like he was good on Giannis. He was good on Jimmy a lot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that translates to marketing, but I think it would have been a better shot to give Obi, who's a, I'd say a more mobile player. Uh, a shot against Lowry instead of instead of you know Jalen who's a bit more grounded and of course Nemhard who has a massive height disadvantage. Now ideally I would have put Nismith on him who yeah. even even though he has the size disadvantage we've seen Nismith guard guys like uh who did he guard LeBron we've mm-hmm. seen him guard guys like who, who else did he guard he's guarded Giannis yeah he's guarded Giannis he's guarded some Carol pretty a little big bit yeah yep He's he's probably the he's probably the best guy to stick on those big forwards like you know the guys we've had trouble with Jeremy Grant uh Jason Tatum you know the guys that we've had trouble Pascal with Siakam <laughs> yeah Siakam as well yeah. I forgot about him um those guys that the forwards that have been giving us trouble this year he's probably the best guy to put on there but of course he's not playing he was out second game in a row I think Obi was your best bet but even then I think anything could have been better than you know Andrew Nemhard. Because, yeah, just the height, yeah. the height advantage is such a big difference yeah. there, and I, and I think you know they they put Jalen Smith on Pontecchio, they had Miles Turner on John Collins, so it's like you know this is this is a good Jazz team. Like, there's no doubt about it. They've been playing great basketball. They've I think they're now ten and two since Christmas. Pacers yeah. three, so both teams have been playing really well. The Jazz just beat the Nuggets a couple nights ago, so yeah. it's not like it's not like Utah's a you know a, a bad no. team. They they might not yeah. look great record wise, just being twenty two and twenty, but they've been playing fantastic basketball. And Colin Sexton, Laurie Marketing, they shot the ball efficiently well. I mean, the whole entire team shot pretty well, fifty five point six percent from the field, forty four percent from three. It's hard to stop that when you're already getting you know obliterated at the free throw line too so mm-hmm. i just felt like this is a game that it felt like it was like a scheduled loss to a sense mm-hmm. you know to a degree and mm-hmm. i'm not overly concerned about it considering all the players that we had out in this game but i'm hoping that the next couple of days they can get some rest this is the only i think chris and Ari said this is the only time they have two days off in a row until mm-hmm. the all-star break so that's yeah. a lot of games they have coming up here but get these two days off rest get ready for sacramento portland because I think there's a good chance they could steal one away from Sacramento, and then Portland is just a bad enough team that you could probably beat them on a back-to-back on the road. I don't know how you feel about that, Woody, but that's just kind of where my hope is at right now after dropping two in a row to Denver and Utah. Yeah, I feel I feel like maybe everybody's a little more stressed because they've seen the schedule that's coming up. Couple that with uh, the injury list growing a little bit, that this is going to be an extremely tough stretch. Also, you just mentioned the um, lack of rest in between games, two days off, the only time in the near future. Um, it is a very, very tough stretch. A lot of people would have looked at the schedule and thought, if we can sneak this, it really gives us some breathing room. There's a little bit of panic there. 
Um, but like you said, the Sacramento Kings have been kind of a bit all over the place, dropping games that they shouldn't be. So there's a window for us to steal one. And then the Portland game, realistically, we should win that game. But we already had an absolute nightmare against them earlier in the season. So um, we could go 2-0, and could go 0-2, could split it. It's a very, very yeah. tricky little time. And then the schedule gets very, very scary. I think that just coupled with um, everything else that's happening makes this loss feel a little bit worse than what it actually is, which is, mm-hmm. in reality, we played a good team. We were down a few players. We should have lost that game. Yeah. Yeah, I feel yeah, I feel like I'm not I'm not too concerned about the loss tonight. I am concerned a bit about the injury list growing. I'm hoping those upcoming two days of rest can give uh Bruce the time off he needs, Neesmith, um hopefully Matherin and yeah. uh Isaiah Jackson as well, because if we go into that uh Sacramento game without that's five rotation players. If we go in without five rotation players, I'm not even expecting us to keep it close. No, 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 no. I mean, Sacramento's playing good basketball, too. They're a good team, and they just had a heartbreaking loss the other night to the, the Milwaukee Bucks. Dame Lillard mm-hmm. hitting, you know, a game-winning three. Mike Brown got ejected from the game. He pulls a laptop out. The laptop out after. That was, <laughs> that's old that was epic. <laughs> I feel like a lot of coaches are like, you know what? I'm, if I'm going to get fine, I'm going to really get my money's worth, you know. Yeah, and I no. appreciate Mike Brown doing it because he wasn't, like, just hostile or anything like that. He was just like, I just want consistency, like, I thought it was fair criticism, you know, make the make the laptop bigger next time. I would like mm-hmm. to see the full <laughs> yeah. screen, you know. Need a 65-inch yeah. screen to come yeah. out to the desk. <laughs> yeah, give yeah. him the Kenny the Jets 14, screen. 1440p. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I, I, agree. I agree. If you're going to get fine, get your money's worth. Shout out Darko. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it's frustrating. I mean, the, I feel like officiating across the league has been very inconsistent this year. Maybe it's yeah. just – new officials and, and trying to get people a new acclimated to these new rules. But like, I, I did notice this Remember at the beginning of the year and even in preseason, how much they were calling technical fouls for hanging on mm-hmm. the rim. Yeah. I haven't really seen that anymore. I think I feel like to adjust. go ahead. If, if, if I may, I think, I think the refs are overcompensating for a lot of things and undercompensating for a lot of other things. I feel like the focus is towards, like you said, the focus is towards silly stuff like hanging on the rim, arguing with the referee, See, they 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 call stuff there to be like, oh, the refs aren't playing around this year. But then you see, you see, uh, you see, like in the Atlanta game, even though we won that one, and in the Denver game, our guys were driving to the rim, getting clobbered, and I didn't see a single foul call. You know, yeah. Denver. You know, the the Denver fans were chanting, "Refs, you suck." It was going both ways. You know, I saw plenty, plenty of. Plenty of times where Matherin was driving to the rim, where Bruce was even driving to the rim, and they didn't call anything. I didn't understand. I I know the altitude is a bit is a bit of a difference maker, but I'd hope they give the refs like gas masks or something, you know? They definitely need that. Woody, I mean, talk to me a little bit about this, just because I feel like we've seen so much of the, oh, you know, you grabbed him here or had your hand in the wrong place and you're going to get called for a foul. But if you go out there and just clobber somebody, it's tough. And I know the verticality rule is a big one too, because that's what Mike Brown brought up, you know, where Domas gets called for a lot of those fouls, keeping his forearm down low and not having both hands up. And then them not being consistent with that cause. I mean, do you feel like the officiating has been inconsistent for you? Absolutely. And that's the only thing that frustrates me. I don't, I don't think there's like many refs out there that are intentionally trying to be poor. I don't think they're trying to have negative attention. They don't want to be going home with, you know, social media going bananas about how terrible they are at their jobs. I think there are times where um, players aren't made aware of what the focus of the week might be. 
which sometimes, like you said, the hanging on the rim, it could be um, certain ways shots are contested at the rim, letting certain things go to improve the flow of the game. I think they're also getting told what to target, what to look for, what to adjust all the time. Um, they overcompensate, they undercompensate, it gets too complicated, we end up in just an absolute mess where we're all complaining that nothing's consistent. I mean, you look at guys, it's not just us, the paces. We do get a little bit of a rough run, Halliburton, doesn't really get any calls. Matherin doesn't get whistles. And you have to live with what everyone says. They're not superstars yet. They don't get superstar calls. I think it's the most bogus thing in the world. It should mm -hmm. be, you get fouled, you get the call. Scotty Barnes was the other one that came up recently. Again, shout out Darko. Gets absolutely slapped around going to the room. But he one, looks tw like 26 stable. free throws to two. 26 free yeah. throws to two. Yeah, nuts. And it's it's across the league. You just you don't get the right calls. You don't get consistency. Certain players get looked after. The one I don't I don't um, have a problem with is the Giannis one when we play them because I feel like we we do hack him an insane amount. I mean, he has like thirty five free throws. You watch the game back; it's like probably thirty of them were probably correctly attributed to him. But mm -hmm. there is inconsistency inconsistency across the league. It's frustrating to watch. I don't see an early fix for it. Um, and I think the really poor personal sort of attacks that some refs take towards certain players are a smaller percentage than what we what we probably perceive. I I'd, I'd like to say I 100% agree with you on the superstar call things. I think it's absolute bogus. I never bought the you're a superstar, you get superstar calls thing. So that so you're basically showing favoritism. You're showing favoritism without explicitly saying it's favoritism. Because mm -hmm. what is a superstar call? What is a superstar call? Like say, say, uh, say Jimmy Butler drives to the rim and gets gets tapped on the elbow and they call a foul. That's fine. But I should also expect, I should also expect, say, uh, I should also expect Bruce Brown to drive to the rim, get tapped on the elbow the same way, and also get that same get that same call. If not, it's favoritism. Mm -hmm. It really is. Superstar calls, superstar whistles are just a friendlier version of saying favoritism. Yeah, I mean, that's one way to look at it. I mean, I think it's just you're seeing that referees are expecting superstars to get fouled more maybe because they're good at drawing them. I mean, we can look at the foul merchants in Philadelphia and Milwaukee between Giannis and, and Joel Embiid. Ooh. I mean, yeah, I mean, definitely think Joel Embiid is hunting for fouls a lot more. I've never seen a seven-footer like that flop around as much as he does. You know, it looks like a fish out of water. But at the same time, he's good at drawing the contact and getting to the foul line. You know, yeah. then you look at a guy like Ben Matherin, who does hunt for fouls certain times, and he might get knocked down on the ground multiple times. And the same foul calls that you said, like a Joel Embiid might get. Trey, Matherin. Trey, yeah, Matt Matherin doesn't get those either. So it's like, okay, you kind of expect that there's going to be inconsistencies. I'm not mad about that. It's whatever. I don't think the officiating has really cost a lot of games here for the Pacers, and they were actually the beneficiaries of it just last week against Boston. So you can't over-criticize over or think too much about it, but it does get annoying just because you just want to see a consistent whistle, no matter what. You don't mm -hmm. want the officials to feel like they're impacting the game that much. But back yeah. to this game here against Utah, obviously not a whole lot to talk about. We're talking about Jairus Walker a little bit and his playing time and that kind of thing. But, you know, were you at all mad that you saw Jordan Wara get the minutes ahead of him? Cammy? I mean... Very, very. Very. I mean, I'm sure you saw my tweet. I posted a stat line after. I truly, I don't understand it. I think Nwora is a good scorer at times, but I think he might be the streakiest player in the NBA. <laughs> he may be the streakiest player in the NBA. I think yeah. he has moments like that 25-point quarter that he had against, I forgot what team, Atlanta. but it was last year. Atlanta, yep. 
Atlanta last year. He has moments like that. But then he also has moments where he can't, you know, he he can't find he he can't find anything. He can't sh- he can't shoot a fish in water. You yeah. know, yeah. He can't he yeah he can't get anything. And I think Nawara is that type of guy where if he's not scoring, what is he doing? You know. Good point. Yeah, I kind of feel that way. He's a kind of a one trick pony. That's why he's kind of been out of the rotation, yeah. in my opinion. And I know that. Yeah. He, yeah. He can. He played okay against the Wizards, but it's Washington, right? Um, can't read too much into a bad team, especially what, defensively. What? So. Wasn't great in the final run against uh, Denver. I'll say that he wasn't great in the final no. run. He was he was good earlier against Denver, but in the fourth he killed us. Yeah, um, had, had some really rough shot selection there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think, especially yeah. on that three on one steal. <laughs> yes, oh that my was god, the one that drove me nuts the most. I, I feel absolutely, you on that one. absolutely. Uh, I think I think Nawara is uh, can be a rotational player on a team, but I think he really needs to uh, sharpen up his shot selection because. Again, his shots are not falling. He is very rough to watch. And I don't see the point in playing him over someone like Matherin. Uh, not Matherin, sorry, J- uh, Jarris Walker. Yeah. Jarris Walker. I, I, mean, I don't see that. I, the only reason why I think they're doing it is, one, because I think Rick trusts a guy that's had that experience before playing in a game like that versus a guy like Jarris Walker who he has called out for making those nilly-willy gambles that he talked to Dustin Dopierick about, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago before one of the games and just talked about if he can figure that kind of stuff out. Obviously, he was on the radio, talked about how Jairus had a really strong showcase uh, down in the winter G League showcase and said that, oh, yeah, he was really good for two games, but the championship game, he was not very good. And so he's got to be able to put, you know, three games together where he's playing really good basketball. feels like they're just not willing to trust him yet, and it's not yeah. that they – and I think there's a good reason why he is very young, very raw. But at the same point, I get it. Jordan Mora hasn't really proven much this year. But I will say this. The trade deadline is, what, three weeks away? Oh, yeah. There's no way I, I can see Jordan Mora really staying on this roster past February 8th. And so you kind of have to wonder if maybe they're trying to get him yeah. some run to get him a little bit of a showing out that. there so teams can kind of see what he brings. I don't know if you feel the same way, Woody, but that's just where I'm at with it because – it just feels like we're at that point right now with Jordan Wara. Um, really can't bring him back. You can only offer him so much money. I think that it's going to be kind of a hard for him to really be a part of his team long term. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Yeah, I, th- I think I completely agree with one comment you made. Rick trusts um, guys who have been in situations before. He values that super highly. And he's um, an NBA champion head coach, so he probably does know more than all of us put together, which. Uh, we have to trust his judgment. There might be a bigger picture that we're not fully aware of. Um, it's just, I think we, we get a little frustrated. We get a little scared with the thought that maybe we have this super talented and high overall draft pick that is wasting away. We don't see the daily development. Yeah. We don't see all the work that goes in behind the scenes. All we see is that he's playing three minutes and Jordan Orr is playing 24. And it's mm-hmm. sometimes hard for us to understand. Um, one other point I like, I think Cammy might have just touched on it a little bit was Nora not giving you much if he's not scoring. I think that's where Walker is really going to separate himself as a player in this league. I think he can shoot 
you know, one for six in a game and still be one of the most impactful players on the court, whether that's his defense, his instincts, his um, high energy plays, you know, meeting someone at the rim or something as simple as being a really good connective passer, which I think is probably his strongest NBA skill set right now. Gets the ball kind of like Nick Batum does in Philadelphia right now. Gets the ball, moves it quickly, makes that quick read, you know, finds finds like, like angles and passes that a lot of guys just don't see. Absolutely. And a lot of guys will take the ball and stick. It's a floor of Matherin's that we've kind of been very, very aware of that he gets the ball, sets himself, lets the defender set, then makes a move where Walker is happy to catch it, move it. And I think that plays in really well with Halliburton. And I think that's where we would like to see Walker, not being the, the main guy trying to create something in junk time, but being, you know, the third, fourth option as a connector piece with smart players around him. Right. I, I, I didn't like, I didn't like a parts of the game where he was just sitting in the corner acting yeah. like a spot up shooter because I don't think that's what he is. I think uh even with even with having a good jumper, I don't think that's where he thrives. I think like you said, I think he thrives top of the key trying to find that guy, making that extra pass, um finding a connector. I think that's uh that's where he thrives at. I saw a tweet by Chase Hoops the, uh earlier which said uh he thinks Walker is the third best playmaker on the team and I'd like to get you guys thoughts on that. Well, I will say this. I, I, I commented back because Josh Padmore, who is a, a longtime Pacer fan and is a big Jairus Walker guy, said that Jairus is actually the second best passer on the team. So I, I, he just kind of put Chase's hot take to bed there. But um, I, I don't know where I'm at with that. I think McConnell and, and Halliburton are really good passers. I think Nimhard's a very good passer too. But I, I would put Jairus in that mix with those three, obviously. Like, And that says a lot because those are all three point guards, and he's a power forward. And he does have great feel for for the game, and I think he does pass the ball pretty well. He's he sees the open guy probably before a lot of other guys see it, and sometimes the guys aren't ready for the pass that he's about to make. So, I do think that he has great feel and great basketball IQ. It's just at this point he's just got to put everything together. I don't think he's right. He's there yet, but he's he's getting closer. He's developing. He will be. It'll it'll take a couple of years. I think he's so young. We just got to be patient. I think big men take a little bit longer to develop. I mean, look at the growth you've seen from Isaiah Jackson from his rookie year to this year. It, it just takes time and patience. And sometimes it's hard when you're a fan of the team. You want to just see the eighth overall pick get a lot of minutes right away because you're seeing other first round picks get a lot of playing time. Or you or you go back to last year and Ben Mather and thrown right into the fold when he was drafted six. So I totally get the frustration, but. I do think that he's got to be in the, in the top four of passing for this Pacers team. I don't know if I'm going to go top two, top three yet, but um, he's got great feel. And I know, Woody, you probably feel the same way. Yeah, I think, like, as a natural passer, um, he maybe probably has top two upside. No one's going to get close to, to Halliburton. But like you said, in terms of overall passing, I think guys like McConnell – Maybe Nembar. Nembar's hot and cold too. Makes makes some interesting decisions. Does get stuck and makes some poor decisions at times. Probably a more sensible passer. Um, I think Walker will eventually, if he pans out the way we kind of hope, will be the second best. I think he's the only one who has that unique style of um, catch the ball in front of his face, move it quickly. Where the other guys need to put the ball on the ground, need to really take their time, think their way through it, and, and create. I think that's what separates Walker as a passer. But um, it's exciting. It's exciting when you see it. And like you said, over time, people are going to get more comfortable being on the court with him and they're going to see those passes coming. Some of them don't even understand the ball's coming their way because they don't even see the angle on the receiving end at times. Mm -hmm. How do you feel? If Cameron? I, if I may interject, um, I, I do, I do, I do agree with that. I think, I think he is very easily the best non-point guard passer on this team without a doubt. 
the best. I think Bruce is close, but I think it, he's Good still point. better than Bruce. Yeah, yeah. But I will say what you said about his development, Alex, it's going to take a few years. This is where uh, a cer- uh, certain people have compared this man to Draymond Green in the past. I'm sure you've heard them before. It's been a popular comparison. And the thing is, this is why I'm not a fan of this comparison or any Draymond Green comparison for any young player. Because Draymond is a basketball genius. He is a basketball, like, he is a beacon of IQ. I'd say he probably has, like, top five basketball IQ in NBA history. And you can't you can't really teach that in a prospect. You can't really teach that. That's something you're born with, mm-hmm. honestly. I think Jairus' IQ for his current age is pretty good, basketball IQ. But I don't think him or really any young player can be fairly given Draymond comparisons without taking into account that Draymond is probably one of the smartest basketball players ever. That's a good point. I mean, everybody wants to throw out the Draymond comps if it's a guy that was undersized at power forward, really Grant Williams. Yep. Grant Williams. There's a lot of different ones out there. I mean, I feel like we get one every single year. Oh, this is uh, Draymond Greenlight. And I mean, it's it, Draymond Green's really good. And like you talk about that high basketball IQ, it does make up for some of the athleticism that he lacks and things like that. So, you know, he has done a great job with his with his career. And I honestly feel like being a part of that Golden State Warriors team clearly was the right fit for what he does. And had he gone to another team, who knows what happens to Draymond Green in the NBA. So I do think fit matters the most in terms of how you're able to find your niche there. But uh, as we close this out, the, the one person I did want to talk about too is the other rookie that the Pacers took this year, and that's Ben Shepard, a guy that also has not gotten a lot of playing time. But tonight was called upon earlier than Jairus Walker to be more of that second unit's you know, shooting guard, and he went 1-7 from the field, 0-5 from three, really just could not find the bottom of the net. And the game, to me, Cammy, felt like it was moving incredibly fast for him. It felt like he was just trying to recover, trying to react more than just being proactive. And I understand it's going to be tough when you're thrown into the mix like that. But I don't know how you're feeling about Ben Shepard so far early on, but are you feeling some of the same ways I'm feeling? Um, I kind I, I do completely understand where you're coming from with the game moving too fast for him. I believe in Belmont, he was just a 3 and D guy, correct? He was just uh, mostly, a, yes. Yeah, mostly just a shooter. And I think he's mostly settling into that currently. I've seen a lot of people think I've seen a lot of people say that, oh, if we trade Buddy, it's all right. We got Ben Shepard. I don't think you can put that type of pressure on him. I really don't think you can yet. Because Buddy Hield, as much as I give him flack for, as much as I give him flack, he is still one of the greatest shooters of all time. And that gra and that not just shooting, but that gravity that he brings. Yeah. That gravity where he's on the floor, you gotta guard him. Even if he's 0 for 7, he's getting an open shot. You still got to guard that guy because you're doing a disservice to him and your teammates if you're not guarding him. I don't think Shepard has that yet. I think yeah. that's a skill that very few players possess. And I think maybe Tyrese has maybe Tyrese has that, you know, but I don't think a rookie coming out of uh, uh, coming out of Belmont has that yet. I think he needs some he needs some time to get acclimated to the pace of the NBA um same with him and Jarris, honestly both have been uh doing decent for what they've been given but i think it's gonna take some time and i think for Shepard, it's gonna take like another year or so before he gets accustomed to the nba because of course as you know the college three is closer than the nba three maybe yeah. that's hindering him a little bit i don't know how much he's shooting i think he's shooting around 32 percent. he's shooting 32 percent this year which i'm not sure how much he shot at belmont let me let me check. Slow volume, quick. though, for what he's doing. Yeah. And it's not been consistent minutes. I mean, that could play yeah. a part into it as well. 
just not really getting a chance to get his feet wet and kind of get True. settled in with that rotation. And then, True. okay, here's an opportunity to prove yourself. Go do it. And it's not as easy because you're trying to like earn yeah. more minutes when you're out there playing. So it's a, it's a mental game too. I think that that's one thing. That, there's a lot of pressure on rookies just to be good because they're getting coached so hard so early on that it does take some time to adjust. Yeah, I feel the same way with uh, I feel the same way with Jarris. I think Jarris and Ben, whenever they get minutes, they feel like some somebody's breathing breathing down their neck, and that's because somebody probably is breathing down their neck. <laughs> I feel like Jarris and Ben, whenever they make a mistake, you know, they feel like they're being watched, and Rick is gonna be like, "Okay, here's why we don't trust you yet," or "Here's why we're gonna give you some time to get acclimated before you get out there." I mean, I saw a specific play where Buddy threw a pass and Jarris wasn't quite ready for it. And Buddy looked at uh Buddy was looking at Rick like it was Jarris's fault. And I feel like plays like that kind of hurt the young guy's confidence a little bit, where it's like, man, I can't do anything out here, you know? Probably a little bit of truth of that, but that's what's part of being a rookie. And I think it's just, you know, you got to be held accountable and it's tough when you're trying to learn on the fly and stuff like that. But Woody, I mean, what were your thoughts on Ben Shepard's game tonight? I mean, obviously not a great one, but uh, still a good opportunity for him to play some more minutes. Yeah, tonight was particularly rough for him. I think Sexton kind of went after him once he realized he could get that first step anytime he wanted. Then the shot wasn't falling and it kind of just spiraled. But he's a kid. He is a very, very young player. Um, it's been surprising that he's been getting more opportunity than Jarrah seemingly so far early in the season. Not by much. They're both not getting a lot of opportunity. He's shown good signs earlier in the year. There have been moments where he's played quite well. I just think he was probably not ready to take on everything that was thrown at him tonight. And it showed. And I guess that's why sometimes we want to see these young players thrown into the fire. Sometimes it's not such a good idea. I think the frustration might also come from the fact that we probably don't require extra sort of help at the guard position, whether it's the one, two or the three. We're overloaded there. Um, it would, in our minds, at least make more sense that we need a little extra help at the, the Bigger spots, preferably the four. That's why Walker should be getting more minutes in our in our heads. They might think Shepard's more ready. Didn't look like it tonight. I I totally understand where you're coming from, and I think it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. But this Pacers team, they are pretty loaded, and that's what makes it hard to get you know playing time with just so many capable guys of getting into the rotation and how they've been playing over the last twelve games. You know, nine and three. It's hard to dismiss how well they've played and, and try to really change things up too, too much at this point because they have found a rhythm despite now being, I believe, 23 and is it 18, 23 and 17? So, 23 and 17. So, you know, they, right where they were last year at the halfway point, 23 and 18. So, we'll see how they go and fare up against the Sacramento Kings. But let's go ahead and uh, wrap this one up, guys. So, thank you all so much for joining us to talk about this game. And obviously, uh, really cool experiences for you guys like we talked about at the beginning of the show just being able to hang out with some of the Pacers get to have those interactions with them it just kind of shows how cool they are and we got the Halliburton jersey signed yes, here sir. by Cammy on the yes, YouTube sir. if you watch it so uh, I know the green screen does kind of take away the effect of all that but uh, once again everybody make sure you follow us on Twitter at setting the pace 3 I'm at Alex Golden NBA Fox and we're FACCI and we'll be back tomorrow for another episode